Hey community team, this is Jake. I just wanted to make a quick note before we dive into this week's podcast. First, I want to apologize for this being out a week late. I had hoped to get it out prior to Thanksgiving weekend, but family plans quickly got in the way. Secondly, uh, I am in the midst of a really crazy couple of weeks at school with finals uh, taking over my life. I've got three papers due this Monday and two papers due the week following that. So I will be taking a two-week hiatus from the podcast. Uh, I think Dan has some plans to uh, hopefully put something out between now and then. Uh, But I really love making this podcast, and I just worried that if I try to keep doing this every week while also trying to tackle my finals at school, that I'll either get burnt out or not do as well as I should in my studies. So... With that in mind, enjoy this episode of Sanctimonious, and I will talk to you soon. Greetings, Archons. Welcome to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss various topics regarding combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake and Sir Dan. Welcome back to another episode of Sanctimonious. This is Jake and joined, as always, by my loyal co-host, Dan Johnson. Dan, how's it going this Friday afternoon? No, man, the sun is shining. The week is short next week. Thanksgiving holiday break coming up. The league has started. Um, The latecomer league is, by the time you're going to hear this, going to have started then too. And we have a few folks in that. So yeah, things are rolling. That's awesome. Uh, Glad to hear it's a little bit cold here. A little bit uh, dreary. I guess it's a little later in the day, but... You know, we can't all be living in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, I guess. (laughs) It's been gray and foggy, but man, it's cleared up this afternoon. It's real nice out there. This isn't a weather podcast. On with the Keyforge. That's what people really come here. They want to (laughs) know what it's like, you know, in the past where we are specifically in the world. That's, That's why people tune in week in and week out. No, of course not. But thank you so much for bearing with us thus far and and uh our our listener numbers have actually been up dan hey more ears so uh if you're new to this show welcome in uh if you've been with us from since the beginning like i know many of you are thanks so much for sticking with us and enjoying this podcast and welcome raz clart i think he finally he's been in our discord for months now and he just announced the other day he's like yeah i think i might actually listen to the podcast now (laughs) so welcome i hope you listen to this You've been a valuable member of the Discord community, and it'd be interesting to see what you think of our voices. <laughs> Hold on. I'm, I'm actually looking, because I think we have a couple of new patrons on uh, our Patreon. What? I want to give them a shout out here. Outs with the shouts. Okay, so just really quickly, we want to thank our two newest Patreon backers, St. John Westbrook, who is actually a local St. Louis player who I got to meet. Uh, last Friday at Chain Brown. Great guy. Thank you so much for your contribution. Thank you, St. John. And also uh, Colin Johnson. Is this a, any relationship to our own <laughs> Dan Johnson? <laughs> I mean, there's a million Johnsons, but 
Thank you, Colin Johnson. Uh, okay, so on with the show. Let's uh, kind of do a little throwback. We changed up last week, but I think this week we'll we'll go with our old standard and do a weekly inspiration, one Keyforge-related thing that inspired you over the past week. Dan, you're up first. Yeah, so uh, Worlds Collide is fun. <laughs> I'm still, man, Coda is still so darn efficient with what they do. But I think it has a few more tools than we saw in AOA, and I've been having a lot of fun with it. And I was actually playing a Coda deck today, and I prevented one of their forges because the uh, amber cost for the forge was 24 amber. <laughs> Um, I had hide and vellum, so that's the new kind of special. If they're both out at the same time, their logos creatures where one reaps to draw two cards if they're both out, and the other one reaps to archive two cards. I had double ed eye out, so the three powered logos creature that archives a card when he comes in, and your opponent's keys cost one for every card in your archive. So that was doubled up, and then I had a memory chip to boot. And yeah, it was silly. <laughs> so 24. So let's see here. How much is that? That's, you know, that's 18 over. So there's nine cards in my archives when they went to try to forge their second key at 18 amber and were not able to forge a key at 18 amber. <laughs> so yeah, like the game, the game has changed a little bit. Like there's not as much stealing like with the world's client. I mean, there's still some stealing. My boy Ronnie's still running around risk clocking people. Um, hit and run's a thing to make Ronnie kind of do it twice now. So, the, you know, hit and run does two damage to a creature and then returns a friendly creature to your hand. So you can Ronnie Ronnie, which is really fun. Got a deck that does that. But uh, yeah, in general, I just it's been a lot more. Seems like it's a lot more creatures increasing key costs. You've got the logos. You've got you've got a bunch of artifacts now too. You've got the logos artifact, the universal key lock that co- makes it cost plus three. Untamed has the vine apple tree that you get an amber for playing. Action add a vine apple counter to it. Keys cost plus one for every counter on it. So I mean, there's just a whole bunch of ways to increase key costs and make things weird like that. So I've been having a lot of fun with that, investigating all these new ways to stifle opponents. Jake, what's your inspiration? Uh, so I was having a good time playing in a chainbound tournament last Friday at game night in St. Louis when all of a sudden the lights go off and it's just dark in the room and we're like, okay, what's happening? Are we going to be able to keep playing Keyforge? Lights come back on, no problem. So we resume our games, lights go off again, and this time they don't come back on. Like somehow like the whole block lost power, which it was just a strange thing. Cause it's, you know, a, a nice clear night. We didn't know, you know, really why there would be this power outage. Uh, but we were, you know, people got their phone lights out and we're like, whatever, we'll just keep playing in the, <laughs> in the dark. Yes. Uh, but unfortunately the store not being able to, you know, use their cash register decided that they were going to close up for the night. Um, I guess I can't really blame blame them for making that decision. Um, but it put us in a really weird spot because we had all just paid $5 entry fee into a tournament and we had only finished uh, the first round. Some people were still actually playing when they decided they were going to close down the store. Oh. So, yeah, so, you know, what do you do? 
we were kind of all waiting around uh, when good old trusty Duncan got on the phone, called up Yeti Gaming just a few blocks away, and they invited everyone else. So we literally moved a 16-person Friday night chain-bound tournament from one store to the other down the block. Everybody made it, didn't get lost, and we were able to resume the chain-bound tournament in a new location. Nice. So it was just, it was pretty fun. I feel like it kind of brought our Keyforge community a little bit closer. People were like carpooling, following each other. Um, It was was just, it was a kind of a fun thing and ended up being a really fun tournament. I finished third, so just missed out on a Saryan playmat, but uh, I lost to Kevin, uh, who's always kicking my butt. He's a two-time vault tour top or day tour in two attempts. So pretty good player. And I managed to beat uh, Justin Woodward, who just finished second in Indy. So it was a t- tough crowd here in St. Louis, to say the least. <laughs> tough meta. Tough meta, indeed. Day tours, finalists, and you came third. And yeah, I mean, you're just, what, a top four player? Top four, yeah. I was yeah. joking. We were joking because I played Justin in the second round. I was like, man, this feels like pretty pretty rough for a second round <laughs> matchup and like a little chain-bound tournament, but... No, it was cool. And I think that's just one of the great things about this community. It's like when people get invested in it, bring other people into it, uh, then, you know, uh, people get stronger and stronger, kind of like metal sharpens metal or whatever. Iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens <laughs> iron. Brother to brother. What did I say? I felt like I said the same thing. Metal sharpens metal. Come on. <laughs> so that was that's my weekly inspiration. Nice. All right, so to be completely forthright here, we had a planned episode, but unfortunately that planned episode is going to be delayed a little bit. So we kind of threw this one together kind of last minute here in like the last hour. So um, yeah, bear with us. We're going to do our best because we were scheduled to record and here we are, we're recording. So Jake, you have a prime this weekend, do you not? I do. Uh, Tomorrow, registration 9.30 a.m., going to get started with our deck evaluation and, and start battling in a single deck sealed where i'll be selecting from a pool of three sealed decks fantastic i have done two of these it is super fun um hopefully you guys are not working out of a brobnar case <laughs> <laughs> um but if you are then i guess there's definitely things to watch out for um big bodies lots of big bodies but yeah so what we're gonna do here tonight today in this podcast, whatever time of day you're listening to this, maybe it's on the way to work. Hi, Ryan. Um, but yeah, so we're just going to kind of go over some things to like consider as you're selecting your three decks. We're going to kind of cover maybe just some general strengths and weaknesses that we've kind of found from each house and just kind of maybe some things at the common uncommon level to kind of watch out for in the other houses, some things that you can kind of keep in the back of your mind just to be, uh, totally selfish here um for me i haven't played a single event of sealed worlds collide yet so this will literally be my first so this is my preparation for this event right now (laughs) to pick dan's brain get a little bit of tips and then the idea is we can talk a little bit about it now and then pop back on to record a second half after the event so i can fill y'all in on how it went 
So Dan, what should I yes. do to win this tournament? I mean, you play dinos. I mean, that's that's the obvious one. Um, sarins, sarins are so good. They're just so good. Like they're they're just really really good. So I mean, we've we've been kind of talking in in the Discord about it a lot, and it kind of seems to be the consensus of pretty much everybody. The most consistently good houses would be Sarian, Star Alliance, and Logos, and we equated those to the old Shadows Dis Logos from the Coda days. It's just kind of that house combination that everybody just realizes has the most tools, like consistently good tools across just the commons and uncommons. So you're just more apt to pull a better list in those three houses. Yeah, it's hard to say on the fourth house. Like maybe it's Dis, um, but Dis can have some really bad lineups too yeah. surprisingly bad like i was pretty excited for disc coming into this set and then i opened my display box and had like eight decks full of discs and there weren't really any of the disc lineups i was like super excited about and i was like oh wow i guess infernus being at common is like the most uncommon common ever because i don't <laughs> think i have any infernuses in any of the eight deck lists so yeah so this is a weird one and then to everybody's like I mean, some people's dismay, other people's like celebration. Like Shadows is hot garbage and Worlds Collide. <laughs> yeah, that I, that was actually going to be my next question because I think I think uh, Shadows is the house I feel at least prepared to evaluate. Um, like, I mean, is it is it really just like the uh, reprints that are good? Because obviously, like too much to protect is still great. Ronnie Risklock's still great. I mean, and we talked a little bit on the last episode about, you know, Hawk having an important place in the meta. Yes. Yes, but yes, beyond yes. those cards, like what what are you really looking for out of the Worlds Collide stuff? Um, so I mean the other Shadows cards that kind of have, have been doing work for me, Kaimor Eclipse is one to be aware of. So that's an action card, no amber pip. But you shuffle each player shuffles in their flank creatures. Right. So this can be super powerful if you can set it up where you can play like a Ronnie and then reshuffle your Ronnie back in, or just if they've got a Dino that's wearing an Imperial Scudum, which is an upgrade that says any Amber on that Dino is returned to the General Pool. Um, if or if they have a Perfectus Ludo out, the Perfectus Ludo gives all the uh, friendly creatures destroyed return this Amber to the General Pool. It's a way to bounce creatures to get that amber, that juicy amber that's sitting on those exalted dinos, or just to get rid of problem creatures on the flanks. So that card's pretty solid. I like that card. That's, that's, I agree. It's good. Um, the fact that that card exists also just lets you know how completely busted Lost in the Woods is to just be strictly better and give you an amber pip. Uh, yeah, but I guess that's also... I'm just going to log that in the back of my mind, too, for something to think about in this sealed environment when I am coming up against a Shadows deck. That yeah, you really got to I mean, be aware of what to put on the flanks. The best shadow cards really are the reprints. And there's like, I mean, hit and run is a cool new one. Again, that's another way to re redo Ronnie as I played a triple Ronnie double hit and run deck. And that was pretty silly for what you could do. Yeah, it's but it, I think it's like, I mean, it's great with Ronnie, right? But like outside of that, it doesn't seem like it really interacts that much. Uh, it depends on your other two houses. Like I don't sure. mind. I've used it to bounce in furnaces in another deck that I have. Where yeah. you go dis, and then you have to begrudgingly call shadows because you have four shadows cards in hand, and you just have to get rid of them. Yeah, <laughs> so I guess I mean it's a, it's a, a, car, a card with good upside, but really reliant on the deck because if you don't have those juicy targets, it's pretty underwhelming. 
Yeah, it's still kind of nice. Like the hit and run's still kind of nice, just for the two damage it does. Because two Hit damage, yeah, you can pop a ward, or you can just. I mean, there's there's still two power tech creatures running around that are elusive. That it's an sure. easy way to just pop them off the board. Um, the other card that is actually pretty good that's been doing some work for me is actually no safety in numbers. This one you do actually get an amber pit for playing, and it counts uh, how many creatures from each house are on the table. If there's three or more. From a single house, that's between you and your opponent. So if you have one Shadows creature out, your opponent has two Shadows creatures out, all three of those Shadows creatures are going hit, to get hit for three damage. And that one can be a nice one if they establish a big board and you can just drop that out and just kind of one-sided three three damage their board. Yeah. But in, ge- but in general, like the rest of the Shadows creatures are not awesome. Whisper never usually survives to actually do his thing, which he's the three power elusive, lose an amber to destroy a creature. When you get to use him, it actually feels pretty good, like dropping an amber to do it, but he doesn't often live. Simon is actually surprisingly good if they let live. Your opponent makes the mistake of not removing Simon. Simon is a one power skirmish, bounce the creature back to the top of the deck, so... Say your opponent has a warded dino with like four amber on it and an imperial scutum. You just run Simon face first into that thing. The skirmish will pop the ward off of the dino. And then the rest of the ability will pop the dino back on top of their deck, put their upgrade in the discard and put the amber in your pool. That's really nice. Yeah. All right, cool. I'm glad we had that talk because I didn't really but yeah, know that. If you, can, if you can avoid shadows. <laughs> so do you put shadows above or below untamed at this point so i mean they're man untamed actually almost has better i think better consistently good cards with the mustic um remook he does four damage when he comes in and makes keys cost plus one which is really nice ghost hawk is insane where you just deploy it and get to reap with either creature on either side of it um i mean i I know it's an uncommon but fangtooth cavern can like that card has just consistently impressed me. Yeah, that, it changes the rules of the game. So that's an artifact that at the end of your turn, so if you're the person with Fangtooth Cavern, you get to select the least powered creature and destroy it. Yeah, it's like and even so if you, you have low powered stuff, like, I mean, there's a good chance that your opponent also is playing th- two and three powered creatures. So either you're just able to hit theirs anyway, or you're like preventing them from maybe playing the cards they want. Yep. So now you have that um, ghost talk. I don't know. I, it's it's close. I used to think Untamed was really, really bad, but you still have Nature's Call, which in the Worlds Collide meta right now, oh my goodness, bounce effects. Like like I said, like, like Kaimor Eclipse and Simon, like all these effects that bounce things back to hand or just, you know, pick them up off the board are so powerful with all the exalting and all the captured amber running around on the dinos and the dinos being frequently selected by people um i think at the indie g or the vt indie vt 14 of the 16 top 16 decks had saurians in it so so play them if they're in the pool almost definitely um obviously you always have to evaluate the set but like on average they do seem to be just like that far above the power curve in my limited experience too yeah and i mean you still have things like regrowth um Unnatural I mean, selection. Got mimicry. You still, still got mimicry. Card. Unnatural like, yeah. selection is actually a new card. It comes with an amber pip, and you choose three creatures on your side, three creatures on your opponent's side. Those creatures live. Everything else dies. 
And that's yeah. actually surprisingly better than a lot of people thought it was going to be. Because if you're just behind on board and they have like five or six creatures, the fact that you can kill the two most problematic is really nice. Yeah, myself included. I, I, I was kind of saying I didn't. I was arguing with people on the Discord right around the release of Worlds Collide, saying that saying that Untamed is better than everyone was saying, which I I think is bearing out. I think that was right. And then I was also arguing, but Unnatural Selection is not very good, and I've <laughs> I've, I've now been blown out by that card enough to uh, start walking back that position very delicately, very slowly. But yeah, that card can be pretty impactful. No, and I've been watching uh, Burnside from our Discord has a really nice Worlds Collide deck with Untamed. And it's like his deck, the Untamed, actually does operate kind of like a Coda Untamed a little bit. It's super bursty. And I've watched him close out a couple of different games where he's been playing somebody and he's able to just burst into a key charge on the last turn. Well, <laughs> obviously it's the last turn, but shouldn't have been the last turn. But yeah, just things like Ghost Hawk and Song of, uh, Song of the Wild, where you get to reap for two. So you turn all of your dudes into dew fairies and drop a Ghost Lowdown. Hawk. Lowdown's another great burst amber option. Like late in the game, that's just like a virtuous work. Yep. No, so I mean, Untamed kind of got some burst back and we didn't really recognize it right away looking through the spoilers, but kind of seeing it in practice it does have some ways to burst and it's got those key cheats and yeah, it still has some of the, some of the good action cards that make it kind of, kind of good. All right. So let me just recap for myself. Sure. All right. So we've sort of decided that Sarian logos, uh, also I'm, I'm reflecting on what justice blinded told us about kind of team SAS's evaluation of logos being number one. Um, it's I, I really think, good. It's just yeah. really good. So All the logos, cards are really good. Sarian, and then Stars a lot, Star Alliance. Let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the best cards there. So we, we also have that in our kind of collective evaluation to be right up there in the top three. And I sure. think that's right. But Yeah, so I mean, Logos, just all their creatures have to be answered. Or you, mean <laughs> just... Star, you mean Star Alliance. Yeah. Oh, we're going to go Star Alliance, sorry. Yeah, let's, go, let's skip Logos, because I think like we, we kind of covered that a bit in the last episode. Okay, so I, just... I, since this is selfishly just about my own preparation, <laughs> like let, let's use the time and let's let's go into Star Alliance a little bit. All right, Star Alliance, the PFR boys and girls, the play fight <laughs> reaps. So yeah, Star Alliance is the one house in the game right now that bounce effects actually kind of work against you a little bit because they have so many play fight reap abilities that you'd rather just push them off the board. But yeah, they're super flexible in the fact that they play fight reap that they get their effects right away. So they're all, like most of their creatures are like pseudo action cards, you know, that can repeat the action if they live through the turn, which sometimes they do because they have sweet upgrades that are actually really good. Cloaking dongle and light of the archons. Um, those those cards do some work. <laughs> it's crazy when you put, uh, you know, like Lamindra from AOA, a one-powered Shadows creature that gave its neighbors elusive and was considered pretty much a terrible card. Um, you put it on an upgrade so you can stick it on something that's like four or five power and give its neighbors elusive, especially if you have like, say, like an Arms Master Molina or something like that that's get, giving out Hazardous as well. Now you have three dudes oh, on your yeah. side of the table. I think you did that, that to me. Somebody elusive. did that to me recently. Was that you? uh no probably not me okay i don't know i didn't play that deck against you so no um that's it's so strong it makes it so hard for your opponent to interact with your board at that point they need like more hard removal and 
it yeah. exists. It definitely exists in Worlds Collide. There's a bunch of hard removal options, but I mean, they just can't fight into it anymore. So those three creatures are effectively safe until they find something like an Axiom of Grisk or, you know, something like that. A uh, volcano, if your guys are small enough. I- I'd say that the two creatures that I've seen be the most impactful would be Calm Officer Kirby, the one that's Play Fight Reap. Uh, you can play a non-Star Alliance artifact upgrade or action. Or action, yep. And then Medic Ingram, that's just like comes down, wards something with a play fight reap, and then on play fight reap, warding other stuff just to like protect. Heals three and and wards. Like, it's super gravy. That seems to be maybe one of the most important for like a strong Star Alliance set, especially if it's like one with a bunch of creatures, because that just like helps make that board so much more sustainable. Well, just the thing with Star Alliance is if you let your opponent set up across from you and stick a Star Alliance board, they're going to be playing more than just Star Alliance cards on their turns. They can call Star Alliance over and over again, most likely, because that was the one game I lost with my Triple Ronnie deck, was I was doing a good job keeping my opponent off the board, then he stuck a um, Val, Val Jericho, and so that's the one that allows you to play any card. Like It's just... It's a helper bot. <laughs> it's a big helper bot leader in the middle of the board. And so, yeah, he was playing, he was playing like four cards a turn, but he was calling Star Alliance every turn. But he also had um, Tabor and Kirby. And so, yeah, like it was just out of control and I did not have the removal to blow up the board. So he was using pretty much most of his wargs. The Chan allowed to allow you to use a friendly creature as well. And he also had Legatus Raptor, which allows you to exalt and use another friendly creature. So it's just this daisy chain of stuff going on. His turn took forever. <laughs> um, okay, so I think we've kind of talked, and we've we've talked a little bit about some of the, just the busted actions too, uh, like uh, stealth mode and lay of the land. So I mean, I think I'm kind of getting an understanding on Star Alliance. So, so one other card I want people to be aware of though is Red Alert. Okay. Like that one, I mean, it's not it's not super easy to play around, but if you're playing against a Star Alliance player and they seem to not be playing creatures, you can maybe read into the fact that they're holding a red alert. So red alert counts how many uh, more creatures your opponent has than you, and then does that much damage to all the opponent's creatures. So, I mean, if you've got a board of like five creatures to your opponent's two creatures, and you have a turn where you're deciding whether you should play three more creatures or just use your board, Against the Star Alliance deck, I would say use the board. Because otherwise, if you play out those three other creatures, all of a sudden you're doing five damage across your battle line. And that could just completely blow you out then. I've, I've made that mistake. I'm putting that <laughs> in the back of my head right now. So when I do get blown out by one, I'll have that ping of guilt. Like, I should have known better. Yeah, That's that one really can't really play around Contrino Flux, but Contrino Flux is a really, really good card. So that allows your opponent, it's kind of a new standardized testing where your opponent chooses one of their creatures and one of your creatures, and then all creatures that share that power level get wiped off the board. Yeah, it seems like um, like Star Alliance is is a house that's going to be good with like a lot of creatures and or a lot of actions, but maybe like an awkward loadout could be like... Uh, Star Alliance set where it's not really a main house that you can keep calling over and over because maybe it doesn't have those like uh, house cheating cards, but it's also not yeah. just like actions to that help you like, you know, kind of playing like old school logos of cycling through quickly. So it seems like you no. kind of want to be one or the other. 
For sure. I think your optimal would be just like a heavy creature. It's like you've got the Kirby's, the information officer grays are amazing too. That's a play fight reap where you get an archive. You reveal a non-star alliance card and archive it. So, I mean, you're giving your opponent a little bit of information, but at the same time, you're just getting to cycle through your deck faster and build your archives up for maybe that Ed-Eye play out of your Logos house or something. Yeah, definitely agree. Okay, so real quick, before we get out of here, there's one house that we have not talked about yet <laughs> for perhaps good reason, and that is Brobnar. But let's say I open my three decks tomorrow morning, and God forbid three Brobnar decks are staring me in the face. What should I be looking for to tell the garbage from the slightly less garbage. All right. Berserker Slam is amazing. It's an Amber Pip. It deals four damage to a flank creature. If that destroys that creature, uh, the controller of that creature loses one Amber. Super nice card. Really nice. Um, targeted removal. And four power. Uh, four damage gets through most things. Um... The other thing you want to look out for, Iron Staff is actually pretty solid. I really like Iron Staff. It can make your Brobnar guys that you're fighting with bigger, and they're going to fight anyways, because, I mean, that's just kind of what Brobnar does. So making your guys bigger isn't really a drawback. And then also using that against your opponents, like small Reap guys, say like a Bablio, babbling Bibliophile, if you just do not want to have to answer it that turn, you Iron Staff it, make it a two-powered creature, but it's enraged now, and you don't really care if it fights into your things at two-powered. It just makes you feel good. Um, Pile of Skulls is really, 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 really good in this uh, in this set, um, mainly to help you deal with uh, dodging Axiom of Grisk. Because if you have Pile of Skulls out and you're destroying your opponent's creatures, you're capturing Amber on your other creatures, and Axiom of Grisk gets real bad if there's a bunch of Amber sitting on your creatures across the table from you, or it makes your Axiom of Grisk that much better because all your guys will live through it when you fire it off. So those are ones that I've really liked. Um, I'm trying to think of the actual cards. I mean, they're, the creatures are still the creatures. The Megas are kind of cool. Um, their brews aren't amazing, giving yourself plus two counters, but it does give an Amber Pip, which is okay. Um, Volcano is not awesome because it gives you two chains, but four damage across the board can help clear things and catch you back up. In a pinch, um, Ganger Chieftain still exists, so that's still good. I think there's not really any standout. The leader's really cool. If you get the Brobnar leader, uh, if he's in the middle of the table, all of your creatures get skirmish. So I had a double Iron Staff, Pile of Skulls, leader deck with quite a few creatures, and I had some pretty okay success with that on one of my sealed release events. When he sticks, it's it gets pretty nutty. Yeah, other than that, they have Power of Fire, which is awful. Gives you a chain. You can sacrifice a Brobnar guy, and then you both lose Amber equal to half of that power's creature. That creature's power, excuse me. Yeah, there's not a lot of standouts, but what they are good for in Sealed is they're just big bodies. They can get on board, um, and they can just kind of help keep things in check. So they're not, they're not the most exciting. They definitely don't have the same options and abilities and flexibility that, say, Star Alliance or Saurian creatures have, but they do serve a purpose in just kind of being enforcers on the board.
Okay, and we are back on the other side of my prime event and experience. Um, I've got Dan here with me again. Yo. And I think what we should probably do before we get into the retelling of my experience and takeaways, uh, we should address the fact that we were talking about Brobnar cards and abruptly it cut out. What actually happened was I lost power. At Volcano. In my entire apartment complex lost power for like three hours. Um, so we weren't able to finish up that discussion. Um, but we'll, we'll be talking about Keyforge cards and Robinar cards and Worlds Collide in more depth at a later date. So uh, we'll have to kind of resume that and cover that then. All right. So the big question in everybody's mind, Jake, are you locked for Worlds? Short answer to that. No, I am not. Did you make top eight? Well, why don't we why don't we uh, start from the beginning? You know, we don't oh, want to spoil all the good oh, stuff. Oh man, he's gonna tease it. <laughs> um, let, maybe we should start with uh, the event is here in St. Louis. Showed up, we had a good turnout, twenty three people, uh, and the format was three decks sealed. So I opened my three decks, and you know we were talking about how great Sarians are. So I'm hoping to get a nice Sarian deck to pilot with ease to the victory um, and open deck number one, no Sarian. Deck number two, What was the no house Saurian. makeup? Wait, time out, time out, time out. What's the house oh. makeup of deck one? Well, okay, so the three decks I got, so I was just trying to say, I didn't open any Sarian decks. The first deck I opened was Shadows, Logos, Star Alliance. Okay. Uh, the second was Dis Shadows, Star Alliance. Okay. The third was Brobnar, Star Alliance, and I want to say Dis. I, I had Star Alliance in all three houses. Only one Brobnar, so I was, I was pleased to see that. Um, so but, just based on houses, I'm guessing number one was the one you went with. You're right, yeah. And, and it came down <laughs> to a really close call between uh, deck number one, some of the highlights. So this is the one I end up playing. It's called Sostine Celebrity Warlock. Um, so yeah, this is the Logos, Shadows, Star Alliance. Uh, it caught my eye right off the bat when I saw Quixel Stone in the Ayo. list. Uh, I know that's a really powerful effect, especially in Sealed. Um, that other St. Louis site, Justin Woodward, used to go all the way to the finals of Vault Tour Indy. So I, I knew that was a powerful effect, uh, something I was interested in using. Um, it also had the Zen... Z Zen Z Zen Z the leader that if he's yeah. in the middle you get to drop the eight cards which in a Quixel Stone deck hypothetically the creature the battle lines will be pretty small anyways so seems like a good plan yeah it seems like the ideal situation like you know drop a Quixel Stone drop that guy it's got four power two armor so maybe it's hard to remove with a, a single creature or even two um, yeah so. It also, I mean, the, the Logos is pretty solid. Uh, it had an interdimensional grasp for a little bit of amber control. It had a um, red alert for, you know, a little bit of a board clear. So, so I liked all of that. Um, I mean, okay. What other, what other kind of targeted removal did you have? Because it's very, very important in a Quixel Stone deck is because if you don't get Quixel till late, um, their board's already built. I mean, they can't add to their board, but sometimes yeah. it's just too late. Sure, so there's a ton of target removal. Um, there's a Positron Bolt, two Thorium Plasmates, a Twin Bolt Emission, 
uh, a hit and run in shadows, uh, a mug in shadows as well, and then the red alert I talked about. Um, yeah, so anyway, good good target removal, targeted removal. And then uh, it's got like a Igor, a daughter, plus the Zenny. Um, so I figured, you know, I can go through my deck pretty quick. So even if Quixelstone is, you know, towards the middle as opposed to the top of the deck, uh, I might be able to get to it sooner rather than later. Sounds like a lot of pips too. How many how many Ember pips did you have? Because it sounded like quite a few on those uh, removal spells for at least the uh, Logos removal spells. Uh, so pips. 13 Ember pips, yeah. Nice. Quite, quite a nice. few. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, when I looked through that list and I immediately thought like that that's a viable deck. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds pretty solid. Um, no, I, I like that. I've been messing around with the Quixelstone deck as I've mentioned before, and it really is all about like just generating amber. Once you kind of get the Quixelstone out there, you're trying to outvalue your opponent with limited resources. Right. Yeah. So you know, like I said, even though I didn't get any Sarian, like I, I did feel like I, I had a viable deck, and that was the one I ended up playing. the The one I considered, and this was a really really tough call. Uh, it's called the Bronco who nervously agitates cobras. So maybe the best <laughs> deck name I have in my entire collection. Um, and this this deck has some absolutely sweet amber control. It's got so it's Dis Shadows Star Lions. So it's got here, here's here's some of the amber control in here. Too much to protect. Mug Ronnie wrist clocks Infernus with Exhumed to back up those two. Mm. Uh, Lilithal, the Evil Eye, Hugger Mugger, Yatsi Gang, uh, times two, uh, Umbra times two, and then Xeno Training, which is the Star Alliance Uncommon that has an Amber Pip, and it says for yeah. each house represented among friendly creatures, uh, a friendly creature captures one Amber. So I had two of those as well. So there's uh, 20 Amber control <laughs> according to the decks of Keyforge page, which of course... I didn't have access to in making my call, but I did note tons and tons of amber control. Um, and this one has four amber pips. So, I mean, I'm sorry, sorry. This one has 12, 12 amber pips. So, was you know, that like was four. Oh, geez. Yeah. So yeah. that was comparable to the other one I picked. Um, the thing that ultimately scared me off of this list, uh, despite recognizing the superior amber control, was that it just doesn't have super great targeted removal or any board clear to speak of. And I just figured virtually everyone who got Saurian lists were probably going to be playing them. Um, and I just felt like I was more likely to be able to play a competitive game against a strong Saurian list with the other deck, with the Red Alert and Quixelstone, um, than, than this one. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a thing that you could run into. Just yeah, if you can't control a Sarian board or even just a Star Alliance board, if you just don't have a way to clear it, it can definitely get out of hand real fast. Yep. Um, so th that was a tough call. Um, in hindsight, because I didn't win, of course, <laughs> I wish I had played <laughs> this other one than the one I did play. Um, but I, I, I was heartened by the fact that after sharing these three lists in our Discord, uh, Nick of Slots and, and Lady Kafina both players I, I really respect um, came down in agreement with the decision I made. So that, that at least made me feel better about my call. Definitely. All right. So there any, so how, so I mean, I kind of know because I was following along in the discord and some people might know, but round one, you're paired up. Yeah. How'd it go? Round one, I play against a uh, Tharian deck, of course. 
Um, <laughs> I, 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 so I aggressively mulligan for my Quixel Stone, can't find it. Um, and I think his turn two play was something like, uh, shoot, what's the Saurian guy that uh, reaps, exalts, and gains two amber? Oh, Quester Jarta. Yeah, okay. So he plays Quester Jarta uh, with the Brutosaur, um, the taunt guy right next to it, another taunt guy on the other side of it, the one that gives ward, <laughs> warding it, and the library to... Polyosaurus. Yeah, that's a good card. It's a really good card in Saurians. So it was just like pretty much nightmare situation, like just really good hand. He's all already reaping for, I guess, five amber a turn off Saurians. Uh, manages to draw into a couple more dinosaurs to just build a really impressive line. And, it, you know, it was just like you're close to ideal Saurian lineup and he managed to find them all early. I don't think he called... Un- he, so he, played, he had Saurian... I think it was uh, Saurian... No, it was Saurian Dis Untamed. And he didn't... He called Untamed on the first turn of the game, just playing a couple cards for Amber and never called Untamed again. Um, just Just reaping with dinosaurs that I wasn't able to control once they already got set up on the board. Um, Despite, yeah. So despite the loss, it actually, I was able to generate quite a bit of Amber um, and I managed to uh, play my interdimensional grasp to go up to 12 Amber when we were both on one key. So like assuming he couldn't stop me, I I would have actually won the game, Uh, but he had the evil eye in hand to, forced me to forge for nine instead of six and that was pretty much the game well nice work way to way to find an out on that yeah you know so and and he actually yeah and he actually um ended up going all the way to the final so it was a pretty (laughs) solid deck and a pretty rough first round matchup so that was my so i was down oh one i hadn't totally lost faith in my deck since it it was close against like a, a really good list and pretty ideal start for him as well. So I go into my second game, and I'm playing against one of my absolute favorite local players to play against. His name is Dan, super great guy. Um, you know, not you, a different Dan. No, definitely not me. I'm not local to you at all. We're not even, <laughs> we're not even next to time zones. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it was a fun game. We're both 0-1. He also had dinosaurs. Um Trying to remember what his other other two houses might have been. Does it matter? It's dinosaurs, <laughs> right? Um, and and it was a really close game. It came down to the last turn where he he went up to check. I took him off check. Went up to check. He took me off check, and I couldn't. And went up to check again, and I couldn't stop him. Um, so ended up losing that one as well. Oof. It. It was um, disheartening. I made a big, like, just like a, had just like a total mental error um, mistake in the game that probably, you know, in hindsight could have maybe given me that one extra turn that I would have needed to win. Um, What happened was I had the card Hugger Mother in hand. Um, So if you're not familiar, it's a Shadows card. I think it's three power elusive. When it comes into play, you capture one. If your opponent has more keys than you, uh, you capture one and steal one. Yep. Good old hugger mugger. Right. So he's at, 
I, th- I have two, he's at seven Amber, and I have two Hugger Mothers in hand. Um, both of us are at zero keys, so he's about to forge if I don't play them. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, I could play these to take him off key, and I'll get two Amber value. But if I wait till next turn to play both these, you know, I can potentially use them to steal and and get much better value out of them. So I, I decide if he gets three Amber on the next turn. Right, if he gets through, right, exactly. Um, and so I decided to not play them. And the mental error I made was like, I was at six amber. So then I, of oh, course, forge also. And then, like, don't, Dang you know, it. I can't do that anyway. Um, and it was really bad because instead of playing the four shadows cards in my hand, I, like, you know, maybe played like one card and then, like, reaped for two or something with the Star Alliance guys I had out. It was like a much worse turn. Um, so that, you know, so that was bad, just bad play all the way around. Um, I don't know if I was like, I, I honestly, like it was just somehow made a big mental error. Don't really know how to explain it. Um, but that, that put me down to zero and two in the tournament. So essentially eliminated already. Um, I, we, we realized that it, and I didn't realize this at the time, but it ended up being that one three and two person ended up making top eight. Um, but I just figured at that point I was done. So pairings for next round comes out and I get the bye, which is pretty demoralized. <laughs> out of 23. In last place. Hooray. Literal. Yeah. Last place. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't want to be like dramatic about it, but that was pretty, that was like the low point of my key forging career. It's just like, at this prime, you know, I go in with the expectation. I mean, I've always done well in tournaments, so I'm really going in with the expectation to do well or win. You know, I think I have a really good shot at top eighting. Um, and here I am, two rounds in, sitting in dead last place. So It could happen to you. You know, and I understand, like, variance <laughs> is part of the game. And especially in sealed. Like, sealed is such, like, I mean, good players can still take an average to good deck and do well with it. But at the same time, you can still just run into a good player that opened a good deck. And it's just, it's a, it's a tougher matchup in that point. Yeah, absolutely. So I take my lunch break. That that was when I was like posting all my deck lists and like getting the validation from the (laughs) amazing community and people that were like, no, don't worry about it. You're a good player. And that was nice. And it was good because there was like a lunch break after that. So I got to take like a long lunch (laughs) chill out just kind of like reorientate myself that like i'm just going to go back and try and have the most fun possible yeah no that's good um it's nice when you have uh the free time yeah dead life would have probably saw me drop at the point that i got the body <laughs> like yeah i'm gonna go home and hang out with the kids for a while <laughs> i'm a winner in their eyes but no way to go way to stick it out and play it out oh and i lost him All right, so basically what happened was my computer died in the middle of recording that. Right now I'm in a study room at my university trying to crank this out between classes. So don't say we never did anything for y'all. Dan, thanks for your inhuman patience throughout this whole process of me having technology just completely fail on me. Yeah. No worries. So the last thing we said is you uh, had your long lunch break. I was saying good on you for sticking it out. I think 
if I were in your shoes with the dad life hanging over my head, I probably would have just gone home at that point. Yeah. <laughs> One and two with the buy, like just not going to stick around for two more hours to play another game of Keyforge. So good on you, sir, for being a very valuable member of your community and not having children that require love and attention. <laughs> yeah. So get back. Um, I'm showing my decks to just like everybody at this point, like what would you have done? And a lot of people are varying on opinions and everything. Um, I get into my fourth game just thinking, you know, I'm just here to have fun at this point. And I get to play against a new player to me. I, I think maybe she's played in events before, um, but I asked her if she was having fun and she said she was also sitting at a two and one or a one and two record. Um, and so we both kind of agreed that, well, let's just have a great time and whatever happens, happens. Um, so we started playing our game. And, and for the first time, my Quicksilver Stone wasn't in the bottom four or five cards in my deck. So I actually got a chance to get it out. And it played out in a really interesting way. I think she might have been a slightly newer player. So, you know, dealing with the implications of a Quicksilver Stone on the board. Um, not being able to build up big battle lines uh, made this game really drag out and went to time, actually. Um, I ended up... So it went to time on her turn, and I forged my third key on my turn. Um, so, I mean, I didn't technically win on tiebreaker, but uh, still did go the full length, and it was an extremely close game. The clinch for me was getting uh, Manchego out. Um, oh, with Manchego. Yeah, I think I got him out with exactly five cards left in my library and then uh, was able to hit and run to return him and get that steal for four. Boom. That's huge. Yeah, so huge swing. Um, and even with that, uh, she, I think she was playing a deck with... She, I think she had double Infernus, double Ronnie. So there was like mm. tons of steel and just amber destruction i think i had purged like five or six cards of mine by the end of the game um so yeah it was fun uh, but even in that game against a newer player perhaps you know it, it was anything but a runaway victory for me it was just scraping by <laughs> <laughs> just barely uh which, which two and two you're 500 last match to last match with a winning record Right, and I get paired against Aileen from our Discord. Great player, really fun person to play against. Um, and I get once again, I, I get my Quixel Stone early on, and I actually had a really interesting decision because you know all day I'm wanting to get my Quixel Stone and my uh, Zenny in my opening hand, and for the first time ever, I had both in my opening hand. So. Uh, that was pretty nice to see. And I had a tough choice. Like, do I play Zenny to get, you know, up to eight cards right away? Or do I play Quixel Stone to limit uh, what a a Aileen might be able to do on her turn? And I, I ultimately... Zenzi. That's what you would have done? I would have went Zenzi. Yeah, eight that's cards what, that, way more powerful than Quixel Stone. That's what I end up doing, too. Um, and it put me in an interesting spot because she played... Two creatures on her turn, able to enough to take out Zenzi. If I if I then played Quicksilstone, so what I ended up doing was deciding to use Zenzi to attack. Maybe play one more card, um, so that I would be able to get the 
a, a benefit again. Um, but in order to do that, it required, it required me to discard daughter on that like second turn of the game. Because if I play it right now, she, there's two threats to remove, but I'm only drawing one extra card instead of two. So that was another really tough call to yeah, make. I think I would have played the daughter there. I think like the one less card is okay in that sense because you're still drawing the extra card to seven, so you're still above six. Yeah. Like if it's like, if it's like sanitation engineer, I'm chucking that guy because that guy's garbage. Right, but, right. But a really good card, yeah. Yeah, especially when you know you're going to be dropping Quixel Stones, so it's going to become tougher for your opponent to deal with said creatures. Right, yeah. So I really went back and forth, but ultimately decided just to... You know, keep the card advantage maximum. So I did discard Mother there. Probably, in hindsight, ill-advised decision. Um, and, and shortly thereafter, I did play the Quixel Stone. So it was in effect early on in the game and created that situation where we were really, you know, just trying to generate Amber from Amber Pips alone. And Aileen basically made the decision to try and fight uh, on, on that uh, sort of plane, so to speak. So she actually decided just to stop playing creatures entirely. And that, I guess that's one of the risks you run into in Sealed, is like you don't know necessarily how many Amber Pips your opponent is, is yeah. working with. Um, and you know, and I think it's generally a safe gambit because a lot of people like to play those creature heavy decks in sealed. Um, but unfortunately, Aileen had one that just could generate Amber faster than mine. Uh, and, and we played a really tight game. Um, but kind of towards the end of it, I realized that a lot of my cards <laughs> I actually needed to play like I had a Manchego that I had to play uh, and that became problematic when Anne wasn't playing any creatures of her own you know same with um, what, Hugger Mutter or whatever that yeah, card Hugger, is Hugger Mugger yep Hugger Mugger um, so you know it, it, I think ultimately it ended up hurting me more than it helped me to play that I think uh, and just the way it happened like the same turn I played the Quixel Stone I ended up drawing into like you know, I played a Star Lion's creature and then the Quixel Stone and uh, maybe an action or an upgrade of some sort and then drew into like three more Star Lion's creatures. So now I just have basically <laughs> a bunch of dead cards in hand. So it really hurt me um, and ended up losing out to a key charge on that uh, in the last turn uh, to lose three keys to two and maybe by, you know, just like a one turn game. So ended up finishing... 3-2 and, or sorry, 2-3 and three, and each and every game I played, like, literally what were one-turn games. So, you know, it, it kind of left me feeling like, you know, maybe at the end of the day I did pick the right deck. Like, had I played a little bit better, I think it's certainly possible I could have. I think uh, playing optimally, I could have gone, um, you know, obviously if, if I won matches, I would have played, had different matches later on but in the games i played i think that outside the first one the other two losses were definitely winnable had i played a little bit better yeah and no i found so i've got it like i said i've got a pixel stone deck and it's a real skill testing card and i think it can really separate um 
I mean, I've just noticed when I played against really, really good players, so the burn sides of our Discord and the uh, Alex, the Nick of Slots, those kinds of people, like they recognize what that card does and they start playing around it as well and they can start to actually punish you with that card, which is something interesting and it's really, yeah, it's it's such an interesting card, Quicklestone. I'm having a lot of fun with that deck. It's not been super successful because those guys have big-brained me and their decks have been a little bit more efficient than mine, but I can definitely see there's going to be a Quicksilstone deck out there somewhere that just has the right combination of Amber Generation plus just limiting your opponent's board that's going to make it really, really effective. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I totally agree. Super skill-testing card. Uh, it makes it really hard to play in Sealed, of course, when you're still trying to figure out what exactly your deck is trying to do and needs to do to win, and you don't know, you know, what you know, I guess, axis of the game your opponent is really going to be attacking you on uh, by the time you're confronted with that decision. And, I mean, all credit to Alien. Like, she played perfectly to, you know, use that against me and use it to her full advantage. So that was awesome. It was a really great game, again. And then uh, after that, we got to find out who was top eight. And Elaine actually did make it into nice. top eight in that last spot, which was awesome. Um and then, and she revealed, she said, you know, we were playing for that spot, like going to that round, we had the two highest tiebreakers. So the winner would have gone in, which is not at all a commentary on how I perform <laughs> as much as a criticism of whatever gem is doing to create tiebreaks, because there's no way uh, uh, you know, I, a two-and-two yeah, two with a buy should be in, in that situation. In the magic world, for those of you that aren't familiar with, you know, kind of a standard Swiss pairing, pretty much the buy is like the worst possible win you can get because it just doesn't add much to your strength of schedule. But it appears from what I've seen, because in my prime as well, uh, three and two with a buy went in ahead of me at our prime. I was three and two as well, but I didn't lose till round four. I lost rounds four and five, five to the eventual winner of the prime. And yeah, it's such a weird thing in gem where apparently in gem a buy is like the best win you can have. Yeah. Like, doesn't really make any sense. I really wish it would be the worst. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess it gives you a chance to come back. That just is kind of unfortunate for those that had to play all five rounds that finished with the same record as somebody that played four of the five rounds, but got the super yeah. bonus win for like tanking the first two games. Like, I don't know. I think the logic I mean, is like, if it, if, it sucks to get a buy in the first round because you get yeah, screwed on yeah, tiebreaks. Yeah. No, but then, like, any cool. round after the first round, it definitely should be bad tiebreakers. So I guess you can't have it both ways. But anyway, that was just, like, a weird tangential thing. Um, so why don't I wrap up with a, just a couple of takeaways from the event? Yes. What do you think of Sealed Worlds Collide now that you've experienced it? I think somebody's like waiting for the study room I'm in who probably has it reserved and I don't. So <laughs> go quick here. Uh, I think it's awesome. Uh, like all those, like I said, like the great, like you never want to feel like, oh, I lost. And there was nothing I could have done. Like I, it's frustrating to lose and do poorly in the event uh, by, I guess, my own standards. But I felt like I could have done better. And that's absolutely awesome. Right, like, you know, that makes me want to come back, play, do better, apply the lessons I've learned, and try again next time to a much greater extent uh, than I've felt in other sealed formats where it's just like, well, you know, I lost and there's nothing I could have done. Games are much longer. 
I've found in the sealed environment, like the sealed WC, you don't have as many runaway decks. There's a few runaway decks out there. I got to see one of the first sealed events. Somebody had a triple Ghost Hawk. Uh, Ryan had a triple Ghost Hawk, triple Senator Shrix deck that uh, won the final match in on turn five. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Yeah, there, I was sitting there still one game that was like, you know, six minute game or something. But but for the most part, it's, it's not the norm in Worlds Collide. Like that right. is by far... And that was, I think, I think that was something that happened a little more often in Coda. AOA was a bit grindier as well. I don't think there was as much speed, right. but I think it's even slowed down even more so with... Sure. So a lot of people don't like that, but a lot of people love it. And it definitely gives you more opportunity to make more decisions, which ultimately will give you greater influence over the outcome of the game, which is awesome. Correct. Um, yes. The other thing I want to say, as far as deck evaluation, I think a big takeaway was... The deck I picked, like, I, I guess I, I gave myself, like, I trusted myself to do, to play the deck perfectly or, or really well, because that, I mean, let me, sorry, let me, let me start over. I didn't consider at all in my deck selection process how difficult the deck would be to pilot, to maximize its strength and minimize the weaknesses. And the deck I ended up playing was really, really hard. It, it, you know, it was tons of little tiny decisions uh, that, and, you, and it was really meaningful to maximize them. I still believe that the deck I picked, if I played both these two decks, you know, 20 times, that this deck probably would be better in a competitive setting. But I think that the other deck was so much more traditional in the way that it attacks the game, you know, just traditional amber control steel that like, I could have brought out more of its potential in the first few repetitions of play, which is, of course, the whole sealed tournament. So right. I think that just gave me something else to consider, especially once I, because this was my first Worlds Collide uh, sealed event. <laughs> like maybe there is some value in, you know, considering, you know, what you're going to be able to do with a deck, not just what is like the best deck from a purely analytical perspective. So that was my other key takeaway that I wanted to bring in, I think is worthwhile to think about. No, and that's true to any format where you open that combo deck where it's kind of early in a format and you're not exactly sure how to leverage that combo or that kind of unique play situation cards such as that, you know, the Quixel Stone or previous set Jenka, you know, good right. old generosity key abduction. Yeah, if you're not familiar with those going in, sometimes you're better off taking the deck that doesn't have it unless... I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, just playing more traditional key forge, play cards, make things happen, as opposed to trying to set up a combo can sometimes be the right choice if you're not super familiar or super confident. Yeah. So anyway, um, I just made super awkward eye contact with the guy standing outside the study room and he walked away. So I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but my, my class starts in 12 minutes. So. This might be a little bit of a train wreck. Uh, thank you all for bearing with us throughout this uh, episode that we've had to record in three separate chunks. Uh, hopefully you got something out of it. I appreciate the opportunity to sort of share my experience. And Dan, thanks so much for, for, for listening and, and joining me on this uh, journey. Yeah. All right. So we'll skip our final closeout. Archons, we have two podcasters in search of Teams for Worlds. If you need semi-average play on your team contact sir dan or sir jake to forge those keys <laughs>